If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James, James chapter 2. We started last week and we're just kind of doing an overview of um, the book of James. And so if you have a bulletin, scratch out the title because I give the wrong one to Gala. The more I studied, I leave living it out, but just put just love, just love, because that's what it's about. It's about love. And so um, as you turn into James 2, you know, Friday night, me and Mike had the opportunity and um, Paige, my oldest daughter, to be on the sidelines at the Live Oak High School football game. I don't like to sit in the stands when it's too crowded, and it was like 178 degrees out there. And so at least on the sidelines, you can get a little breeze out there. And um, so we was on the sidelines, you know, because I'm the chaplain for the football team, so I get to meet with them every week. And so, but, you know, Friday night, I couldn't help but as I stood there and I looked around and as I'd been studying for today and I looked up in the stands and I said, you know something, there's probably 3,000 people here, 3,000 people to watch a football game. How many people's in here this morning? 80. Last night, there was some ball game on TV, I think, called LSU, wasn't it? The best I could understand, there was at least 30,000 fans traveled to Austin, Texas on purpose to watch LSU play, right? But yet, this morning, there's empty seats around. And maybe it's just me in my mind, but that breaks my heart. You know, because the God that we love and the God that we serve and the God that we just talked about where we give our adjectives, our descriptions of him, you know, and mine would be limitless because his love is limitless for us. But yet, it's the best kept secret in the world sometimes. Because as I stood there Friday night and as I watched some of the game last night, you know, I couldn't help but look at that and thinking we have an unreached people group growing every day right here in our backyard. Every day we read about unreached people, unreached people groups in Africa and in China and all, you know, North Korea and South Korea and all these. But right here in Watson, we have an epidemic of an unreached people group because they need to know about Jesus. And so this morning, as we look at the book of James, and, and I think this is, you know, where we have to start because there's a lot of times, let's just be honest, when people walk in, we judge them, don't we? We size them up. And some of you sitting there say, I don't. You do. You do. All of us do. When somebody walks in the door of this sanctuary, we look at them and say, hmm, hmm, I remember them from high school. Hmm, I've seen their Facebook. Don't we? But that's not what Scripture calls us to do. Years ago, years ago, I was um, a deacon at Amen Baptist Church, where I grew up, and I was sitting in a deacon's meeting, and I worked with the youth. And if you wanted to get me fired up back then and even today, get to talking about students, you know, and, and putting down on them. Well, there was two or three boys that I'd been working real hard. I was a, the high school boys teacher, 11th and 12th grade teacher, um, worked with the youth and did all that. Well, there was two or three boys that I'd been working with just constantly contacting finally got them to come into church and they'd wear their ball caps in the sanctuary and i'm gonna be the first one to tell you i was raised you don't wear your hat inside i was raised you take your hat off at the dinner table unless it's raining and you're sitting outside by a pond you take your hat off when you're eating and so these boys would wear their hats in the, in the sanctuary when they'd come in and it was some of the deacons in that meeting that night and they got stirred up and they said we need to tell them boys if they can't take them hats off they can't come back 
Well, I'm going to tell you, Johnny Morgan come to life. Because I said, you don't know where those boys are coming from. You don't know what it's taken to get them here. How dare you tell them they can't wear that hat and they can't come back here no more? I said, because if that's the way it's going to be, scratch me off membership right now. I'm going somewhere else. And they looked at me and their eyes got that big. And they said, what? what? I said, well, nothing. Well, nothing. We're supposed to reach people where they're at. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James, and we're going to skip around a lot in the book of James. We're going to start in James 2. We'll start in verse 2. And right here, you know, James, the author of this book, is Jesus' half-brother. And James is walking around the church to kind of set the stage, and he's looking, and there's things that's not right. And he said, you know something? There's things we've got to change about the church. And I'm not talking about the walls. I'm talking about the people. He was walking around the people, and he said, there's things that we got to change. And so this is where this is coming from. We're going to start in James 2, verse 2, and we're going to read to verse 4. It says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at the floor at my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, just say that we love you. Father, and I thank you for your word. Father, and I thank you for showing us, Father, how we're to live it out. Father, how we're to love and, Father, how we're to be there. Father, this morning, I just ask that you just change our hearts. Father, that you just let us leave here just changed. And, Father, that you let us see Every place that our shadow falls, Father, a place to minister for you. Father, we love you. In son's name I pray, amen. You know, as you read those verses and, and you start looking at it, you know, I couldn't help but think, how many of y'all have ever seen Forrest Gump? Y'all seen the movie Forrest Gump? There was a scene in the movie Forrest Gump where they come under a lot of fire, and you know, Forrest's best friend was Bubba. Well, he loses Bubba. He gets out to safety, and he realizes Bubba's not with him. So he runs back in to find Bubba, and as he's running back in, he starts running across people that are crying out for help. And so he'd literally pick them up, throw them on his shoulder, and carry them out to safety. And he'd run back in to find Bubba again, and he'd find somebody else, and he'd pick them up, and he'd carry And so he's constantly saving people, carrying them in and out, when his original thought was, I've got to find my best friend. But what happened was he didn't discriminate. As he was going in and out, he was helping people. And that's the way that we need to live. We need to be helping people. And what's happening in this scripture, James is telling us, he's saying, look, there's people that are walking in and you're looking how they're dressed and you're looking at the way that they carry themselves and their social stature. And all of a sudden you're, you're elevating them. You're moving them. Hey, you come sit. You know, apparently these aren't the good seats, Donnie. Apparently the good seats are back there. But you give them the good seats and you say, hey, sit here. Sit here in this chosen spot. You know, and then, but then somebody else comes in, they look and they say, ooh, they've got nothing to add to this. Look how poor they are. You just sit here at my feet. You just hang out right here. And James is saying, that's not right. That's not right, people, because we're to love and we're to, to not do that. But, um, but we, we do it, don't we? We do it. I've done it. Somebody walk in and you judge them in your mind automatically. You know, when I was in high school, and, and hopefully the statute of limitations is out on me being grounded, but whenever I was a sophomore, I was taking algebra, 
And luckily, I didn't have a teacher that labeled me or held a grudge against me or anything like that because I, I would tell I was a good student. You know, I, I did my work and I did what I was supposed to do. And you just have to understand. I was sitting in there one Friday. We was getting ready to take an algebra test. And um, this girl leans over. And not just a girl, but she was a very cute girl. And I was a very single guy. <laughs> and she leaned over and she said, Johnny, I need you to help me on this test. I've got to pass this test. And I said, I'll cut you a deal. My mind don't never quit. I said, listen, if you go out with me tonight, you'll pass that test. She looked at me and she said, done. So I said, don't do anything. I'll do my test. We'll just swap real quick. That way you're not trying to look over on my desk. I'm not getting in trouble, am I, mama? Yeah. <laughs> I did my test. I swapped with her, did her test. We went out Friday night. We went out Saturday night. Got to school Monday morning. Teacher called us out in the hall. And she said, Johnny, you did outstanding both times. I tried to play dumb. What do you mean both times? She said, both times. You made 100% both times. And I said, what do you mean? I signed both tests. What's the first thing you do when you get your paper? You sign it. I put my name both times. And the girl that I did that for didn't catch it. And I begged her. I said, please don't give us zeros. Let us retake it. So I made 300, but only got credit for one. I'm not going to hold that against the teacher. And she ended up passing. We never went out again. <laughs> but anyway, but that teacher could have right then labeled me and said, he is a troublemaker, and I'm going to have to watch him with both eyes off. But she didn't. You know, she, I told her, I confessed her. I said, look, man, I, I got a date with a really cute girl twice. And she laughed. And so anyway, but that's what happens, though, because we let barriers come between us, and we let those barriers stop us from experiencing God or letting people experience God. And so skip down with me to, um, to James 2. We're going to be in, chapter, in verse 8 right now. Verse 8. It says, if you really keep the raw law found in Scripture, love your neighbors yourself. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, when you hear those words and you start looking, if you get past the barriers and say, all right, I'm not going to look at people like that. And I'm not going to judge people like that. But then all of a sudden we start picking our sins, don't we? We look at ourselves and we say, well, as long as I don't sin more than this person, or as long as my sin isn't this sin, then I'm okay. And that's not what God's telling us right there. He's saying that, we, that one's just as bad as another. We can't pick and choose. In Luke 10, 27, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbors yourself. You know, how did that verse start? It said to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
I would hope that most of us in here love ourselves a little. If you don't, you need to come see me so that we can talk. But we love ourselves, and that's what God's telling us. He says, love your neighbors yourself. I'm to love Donnie as much as I love myself. And there might be times that we might not agree, and there might be times that we might not like what each other's doing, but we still have to love each other. And we still have to serve together, and we have to walk in here together. And that's what God's saying. He says, love your neighbors yourself. Love your neighbors yourself. And so um, we can't pick our sins. We can't choose our sins. In Leviticus 19, verse 18, it says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among the people, but to love your neighbors yourself. I am the Lord. You know, James keeps insisting that we're to love. And that's why I say today it ought to be about living it out just love. We need to love in a way that people see God in us. We need to, they need to see a love that don't judge them. They need to see a love that's not have, that don't have barriers. And say, well, you know what? If you conform to my way of thinking, then I'm going to love you. If you drink Diet Coke, I'm going to love you more than if you drink water. Because that's just nasty. But we can't do that, can we? We have to love. And he keeps telling us and he keeps pounding it in that you have to love. You have to love. And Matthew, turn with me to Matthew 7 if you have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others and you will be judged in a, with a measure that you use. And it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How do you say to your brother, let, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then, you will clear, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You know, and, and it goes back to not judging because when we read those words and he's saying, look, you're worried about this person when you've got a power pole coming out of your own eye. You know, just think this morning. Listen, I like to what if things. What if, what if all of a sudden God sent some angels down in this room right now and he blocked all the doors so we couldn't get out? And then he had another angel that landed right here on the stage and says, here, hold my Diet Coke. We're about to get real. Because what we're about to start doing on these screens, we're going to start playing your sins out for everybody to see the plank in your eye. There's some of us that's going to be crawling under chairs, aren't we? There's going to be some of us that's going to be ready to fight angels to get out of this room. But that's what he's saying. He says, don't worry about their sin. Don't worry about what's going on in their life. Worry about what's going on in your life. You just love them. You just love them. I'll do the rest. You just love them. And when we start loving like that, we're not going to have empty chairs. There's not enough churches in this community to hold the people if everybody started loving. They would be waiting to get in. But they have to see love in us. They have to see love in us. And, but it's hard. Listen, is it, is it hard? Or is I'm, am I the only one that finds it hard sometimes to love people? Look, the lights are starting to come on now. It's getting real, isn't it? The angels might be coming. I might need to run outside before they shut the door. But he tells us, he says, don't worry about it. Go back to James 2 with me. James 2 will be in verse 
14 now. It says, what, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if anyone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And if one of them says to you, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You know, when you start looking, you know, and you think about we have to live it out. That's what he's telling us right here. He's saying you have to live it out. We're going to celebrate in the 1030 service at the beginning, Noah Laborde being baptized. Wednesday evening in my office, we sat knee to knee and he prayed and accepted Christ. But as a church, it's our job to help his family build him up and teach him what it means to become a man of God. It's our job to help him become a warrior and live his faith out. And what he's seeing while he's being baptized today is he's seeing something different in his mom and his dad and how they're living their faith out. He's seeing something different in a church and how they're living their faith out. So we're getting to celebrate that today. You know, and if you're sitting in here this morning, you say, well, I don't know how to live it out. 9.15, we have a Sunday school class just for you. Because that's where we teach and that's where we equip and that's where we disciple to help us live it out. Because he's telling us, I can't do enough good things to get into heaven. But once I humble myself and I ask him to forgive me, once I humble myself and ask him to forgive me and admit that I need him to become the Lord of my life, then I need to start living it. At that point, I need to start loving my neighbors myself. At that point, I need to start, the lenses on my glasses need to change and I need to start seeing through God's eyes. I need to start seeing through God's heart and I need to start speaking through God's voice. So that when people, whenever I run across people, I'm not judging them for what I think they've done. I'm seeing God in them. Because his blood that washed over me is the same blood that will wash over them. And so when we start doing that, this unreached people group in Watson, Louisiana, starts shrinking. When we start doing this, the people start seeing God. You know, Friday as I was doing a devotion with the football team and I was in there with the guys. And to me, I didn't play football. Whenever I was in high school, if it didn't have a fishing rod connected to it or a dog leash, I didn't do it. I was either hunting or fishing. You know, my goal on Friday nights was to go hang out and flirt with the cheerleaders maybe. Did I say that out loud? Because <laughs> remember, I was single back then. I didn't meet my wife yet. So sometimes for me to stand before them boys that's about to play football, I can't really connect with them on a football level because to me it makes no sense to go get out there and get beat up and be crippled for life for a game but what i can connect with them with is telling them how much god loves them you know on fridays i stood there and i was telling them i said you know in deuteronomy it tells us that he's never going to leave us he's never going to forsake us and that not to be afraid that he's going to be standing there with us and as i shared those verses with them you could see light bulbs going off in their eyes you know, because all at once, I said, it don't matter what's happening on that field. You're not out there by yourself. You have a God that's with you if you've surrendered to him. And I use every Friday as an opportunity to present the gospel to them. Because it's about love. It's about love. 
And so when we start living it out and you start reading and you start seeing what God's telling us through James and, you know, James is walking around the church and he's thinking, look, all these things could be fixed if we would just love people. All these things would be fixed. There would be no poor. There would be no rich. Everybody we would just love. But we have to be willing to do it. James 2, verse 21 it says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as his right, as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. You know, when you look at it right there, and the Bible gives us all kind of examples, you know, because faith, I mean, Abraham chased after God. Abraham was in love with God. But whenever God put it to the test and he said, Abraham, take your son, your one and only son, the son that I promised you, the son that's going to be, that's going to make you the father of um, all the nations, take your son and go sacrifice him. Abraham did it. You had Rahab whenever um, the spies come in and whenever they was looking at overtaking that land and she hid them. She risked her and her family's life to hide these um, spies to be obedient to God. And she helped protect them while they was there. And so we have examples of faith. James is not telling us to do something that we haven't seen proved in Scripture over and over and over again. Are we willing to live it? Are we willing to, to do it? Are we willing to die for it? Let's just be real. Are we willing to die for to self? To say, all right, God, I'm going to love my neighbor. And it don't matter if they blow their grass on my driveway, I'm going to love them anyway. It don't matter if they're making too much noise on Friday night, I'm going to love them anyway. It don't matter how their kids act when they're in the front yard, I'm going to love them anyway. It don't matter if I don't know those people up on the East Coast that's getting pounded today, I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going to go. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to die to self and say, you know something? James is making sense right here. I need to live it out. I need to live it out. I need to live it out so that people can see the love of God. I have somebody that I know right now in my head that I need to bring to sit with me next Sunday in church. There's somebody that I know that needs to hear God's love and I need to be the one to hook arms with them and bring them. There's somebody that I know that I love that needs to be in that water and be obedient in baptism. There's somebody that I know and love that needs to see Jesus. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to do that? Because whenever you go back and you look at the very beginning of, of that of um, chapter two, suppose a man comes in to me and wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. We do it. We do it. 
We say, do we really want that person here? Do I really, really want to know that person? Do I really, really want to sit across the dinner table from that person? But James is saying, do it. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Because I love how James goes back and he pulls it up out of the Old Testament. You know, this morning we went from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament where God's been consistent. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. 